episode of Outside the Rack is brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of the Gym Aware. In today's world of strength and conditioning, data collections become the utmost of importance, and that's exactly where Gym Aware separates itself from the competition. Because when we're sitting there and looking to collect data, what data are you actually collecting? And are the numbers you're looking at fitting into the exercises that you're utilizing? And even more so, are they going to answer the questions that you're looking for? Looking at different ways that you are moving the barbell through peak and mean, both velocity and power, is really what separates gym aware from the competition. Being able to understand what your ballistic exercises are doing separate to what your strength exercises are doing really allows you to program at a much more specific level for your athletes. So hop on over to kinetic.com.au to see what Evan and his team have in store for you today. The world of strength and conditioning is filled with some fantastic practitioners that are always searching for more. But more what? What are strength and conditioning coaches searching for to better their ability to prepare their athletes? Well, what about cutting edge information or a place where you can find different opinions from forward thinking coaches on what you're doing, how you're doing, and try to get feedback to be better for your athletes? Or what about a place where you'll find like-minded coaches that can provide solid coaching advice and career development for you as you progress through your career as a strength and conditioning professional? Well, this is exactly why we built the Strength Coach Network. You'll have access to exclusive monthly content on top of the sensationally active forum that we have where you can communicate with coaches all over the world to find those answers that you're looking for to help you be a better practitioner for your athletes. So make sure you hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cvasps, that's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cvasps, and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the 18th episode of Outside the Rack, brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of Gym Aware. In this show, we're going to try to dive a little deeper into the minds of some of the top practitioners in the world of sport performance, just to learn a little bit more about who they actually are and where they got to where they are today. Today, we are joined by the Assistant Professor of Kinesiology and Sports Sciences at the University of Miami, Dr. Brian Mann. Doc, thanks for being with us, brother. Man, my pleasure. My pleasure, Jay. Always a pleasure chatting with you. No doubt, man, no doubt. But listen, dude, let's get right to it. But before we get going too far, who is Dr. Brian Mann? Man, you know, people think I'm a lot of things and uh, a pariah to some and uh, a good person to others. But when you get get down to it, I'm a I'm a redneck from backwoods Oklahoma, and uh, you know, grew up in a a super small town, uh, and then we moved to uh, Tulsa, uh, and then from Tulsa, you know, I, I went on, and I got into strength training uh, because of a birthmark that it's not a surprise anybody has ever seen me. Uh, and I was getting made fun of mercilessly by kids, as they often do. And I thought, you know what? If I get bigger and stronger than everybody, maybe they'll shut up. So I got a, uh, a DP Challenger weight set for my birthday. I think it was my 12th or 13th birthday. I've got to stop and think. It might have been my 13th birthday. Yeah, yeah. It would have been before uh, before eighth grade, and I started lifting weights, and it, that's what happened, man. I got bigger and stronger than everybody else, and everybody shut the hell up. And uh, you know, and um, so, I, and then before I was fourteen, there was a strength and conditioning camp at Southwest Missouri State University's campus with uh, 
some guys that had been you know big in the field at a different time. A guy named Russ Ball, who was at the time with the Kansas City Chiefs as a strength coach. Now he's a front office guy with the Packers, uh, who consequently was the brother of the head football coach that I first worked for, Randy Ball, at Missouri State, Southwest Missouri back then. Then, uh, you know, Kirk Wolfolk, who went from SMS to Notre Dame to Navy, and he may still be there. I'm not sure. I've done a poor job of uh, keeping up with him. But And then the third was Rob Rogers. And those three guys, they made me know that, hey, this is a, a profession. This is something I want to do. And, uh, you know, it, and that kind of set me down that trajectory. And I'm a bit of a uh, opportunist. You know, I... Uh, yeah, they say if there's a, you know, Ryogi Berra had this saying, if you see a fork in the road, pick it up. And a lot of people think it was just stupid, but it was sort of ingenious. It's not about a fork at all. It's talking about an opportunity. If you see an opportunity, it doesn't mean what matter which way it goes. Just go ahead and take it. So then the, knowing that I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, I was hungover, skipping one class, studying for another. And, uh, happened to be sitting at the right place at the right time and a friend of mine from high school was on the football team and he's sitting there talking to me before his lift group and the head strength coach walks up starts talking to us and he's like yeah you're a big dude and Fitz is like yeah man he just won uh you know teenage nationals or whatever it was in powerlifting it's like yeah well shit you know uh, who louis simmons is i'm like well i know about him but i've never used this stuff i'm learning about it right now and he says well i can't pay anything but you want a job I knew this is exactly what I wanted to do. So I took that opportunity uh, and uh, and just kept going. And, you know, I, I'm a I'm where I am now because of other people and of being at the right place at the right time. I'm not the smartest person. I am definitely not the best looking, you know, but uh, I'll work my ass off and I'll take every opportunity that comes along. And I don't mind having to go through some uh, struggle to be able to get there. You know, Edison said uh, most people don't find success because it's dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. And I'm, you know, a poor white boy from uh, backwoods Oklahoma. But work is not something that scares me. Uh, so, you know, I, I picked up from there uh, at, you know, being, I think I was 19 years old. Uh, as a sophomore in college, I'm coaching athletes. I've got my own teams a couple of weeks later. Uh, and, Worked that till I was 23. I ended up being on the six-year plan for an undergraduate. That's for uh, that's for beers conversation rather than uh, uh, something for the uh, social media. But uh, you know, from there I went to intern under Joe Ken. Uh, my dad fell ill, and I went back to finish my internship at University of Tulsa with Pat Ivey, who was fortunate. I was fortunate enough that he allowed me to come in as an intern halfway through a semester right halfway through the summer to be able to finish so I could graduate. And uh, I went back to SMS uh, with Rick Perry, uh, the uh, former graduate assistant mate of your first boss, Kip Heitrick. And then uh, from there, Pat got the job at University of Missouri, and I went there, and I knew that I wanted to do things a little differently. I, I saw issues with, I don't know if I'd say issues would be the right way. I thought there were some other ways that might be more effective, that things could be done. And uh, I thought that, you know, if I can get a PhD here, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So if I can't see if I can do things to help push the field. And so then I was at uh, University of Missouri for a total of 14 years until the wheels fell off. Uh, 
damn near literally, uh, you know, with the protests and the state funding cuts and everything, and 300 people lost their jobs there. And now they're building buildings, but they don't have the money to pay people, which is just weird to me. I, you know, it just, yeah, I, I'm, I, I know that I got a C in Econ 155. I guess that's like everybody's Econ 101, but, uh, you know, that just doesn't make sense to me. If you, you can't pay people, so you got to let them go, but you're going to have money to build new buildings. But that's uh, beside the point. So I went from, uh, there to uh, here at University of Miami, you know, the day that I found out that I definitely was cut that year and not the next was the day that uh, the job announcement came through and I applied and, and here I am, you know, I've been around the block, I've been a strength coach for a long time. Now I'm, uh, uh, I'm not a strength and conditioning coach anymore. I'm doing a lot of sports science with the different teams here, you know, with uh, done a lot with baseball, volleyball, track, men's basketball, uh, diving, uh, and I've been really fortunate that the coaches have have been uh, have been open arms for the for the most part. I love it, man. It's a it's a great little ride that always when you can get people from the Gateway Football Conference, you know, in the mix when you're talking about it. It's I think that's right, baby. No longer like relevant gateway football conference i think, I think it's called the valley or mo valley or, yeah, or something it might have been, like that yeah it might have been like blended into the missouri valley but yeah man those were the days when it was southwest missouri state it was uh western illinois northern iowa um i mean there were some there indiana were some state western kentucky came in western there kentucky, in the yeah oh yeah man they were uh, youngstown state mm-hmm. i mean it was a stacked one double a conference man i you know, you knew whoever won that was going to deep into the playoffs between Youngstown State and Western Kentucky. And I mean, that was Youngstown State whenever uh, Jim Trestle was mm-hmm. uh, the head coach there. So, oh, yeah. man, yeah, the gateway, dude, that, you know, and the thing that I loved about it, and I didn't like it at the time, but looking back on it, it is what made me. It was the fact that it was that small school, right? So there's 21 sports. There was Rick. There was myself, and then there were work study kids who would pop in and out to do cleaning and, you know, whatever. So I had to learn how to manage a weight room and coach multiple teams at the same time. And it's a small school, so if you screw up because you try something, eh, it's not a big deal. You're not going to get fired over it. They're not going to be able to find somebody else to come in. And as an undergraduate assistant who's working for free, or uh, I eventually got put on scholarship, essentially, uh, and uh, – you know, they, they, that was the best deal in the world for them. And it was great for me because I got that experience. You know, I get basically had, what, like four years of a GA before I went to be a GA. So, you know, I knew all about programming and all these other things because uh, I had the opportunity to. And, uh, and to be honest with you, if it weren't for Rick uh, giving me such a long leash, I mean, think about that. I, I never even thought about that to right now. He is a professional. He's a director. And he has some undergraduate that he was willing to let try some stuff out. And if it were now where you've got, you know, five guys for football and everybody else has got two or three sports, there's no way that that's going to no happen. No way. No way either of us are getting the opportunities we did early on. No, no. way. No. Yeah. It's kind of sad, but it's, you know, oh, it's dude. just how it is. Well, yeah. I mean, but we can get into – all of that, you know, back in my day, talk, you know, when, you know, when people were thrown into those situations and had to 
have responsibility for less compensation and we were proud and happy to do it and people take it the wrong way because they think we're saying that it means you should shut up and pay your dues but really we're just trying to let you know how far the field has come and right the profession's growing but i mean that's another talk for another day we don't you know and that, that actually that reminds me that uh have you read that golden era of strength and conditioning i haven't yet but i need to yeah man it is anything great. that void puts his name on you should read yeah, definitely. It's got all the stories of the different people, and it, it was really interesting. One time, I was sitting there talking with somebody, and I'm like, God, this sounds familiar. And it turns out he was one of the people in the book, and because I, I had just read it, and uh, and I was just had a misunderstanding. And it's one of those things. It's like, man, it was a missed opportunity for me to be able to talk with this dude on a, a deep level about the experiences that he had, and. I just I didn't put two and two together because there's so many of those guys in that book and I got him mixed up with somebody else and yeah missed opportunity I'm an opportunist so missing an opportunity really uh, you know grinded my gears I guess you would say that's one of my favorite lines Jeff Moyer busts me on the grinding my gears stuff all the time but yeah man so listen let's let's get rock and roll right into it brother. Yeah, you've I mean, you're an inquisitive guy. You don't get a Ph.D. and you don't coach and go all over the place like you have without being it. So there's been plenty of learning situations. But let's talk about one that has brought about an epiphany in your career. Well, man, there's been a couple uh, and hopefully I can remember him to, to go over them as I, I chat. But the first one was uh, after the uh, after Pinkle resigned and. Uh, Whenever you're in the middle of everything, right, you can't look back and look at trends. I mean, people say they do, and I said that I did, but I never dove super deep into it. And I found that, um, you know, that we were strength dominant and strength oriented, as most coaches are. But I noticed that for some of the athletes that came in who were super fast and didn't have a resistance training background, that getting stronger actually didn't make them get faster. Uh, and so it made me stop and it's like, hey, what are, what are we doing here? And that really led me to start looking at a, uh, you know, a transfer index from Zatsiorski. Is it, you know, is, uh, I, I assume that it's in the first part of the newer editions and there's getting ready to be a uh, third or fourth come out here very, very shortly. Uh, but the old green and white copy, you know, it was a result gain of your KPI divided by result gain of the trained exercise. And uh, then you divide those two out, it gives, gives you a ratio and tells you how much transferred from that exercise that you trained to what you're wanting to see. And what a result gain is, I better stop and talk about that for a second. What the uh, definition of result gain was is that it is the mean of the unit mean of the, uh, yeah, so feel like it's, uh, let's say that we're looking at sprint time, right? So it's the mean in seconds divided by the standard deviation in seconds. So that gets rid of the units, right? So seconds is no longer there. You've just got a number. And then I divide that by the mean of my group's improvement in back squat, let's say, and divide that by the standard deviation of the back squat. So again, that gets rid of the units and that kind of, uh, Whenever you divide that mean by the standard deviation, it just kind of washes all of the error out. And then you 
have got this nice number that says, hey, this is how much it transferred. So then that led me to looking back at those 15 years of, uh, of improvements. And some people only look at the velocity on the uh, – and here's something else that's uh, 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 been epiphany too is that uh, if you just use physics, you can find, gain a lot more information with your program. Right. Because, uh, you know, what is something called momentum, sprint momentum? It's uh, body mass times velocity, sprint momentum. So people are like, oh, well, you can't account for how fast somebody, you know, they uh, they might have stayed the same speed, but they changed weight. So you can't actually say if they were any faster or slower, or better or what. It's like, no, you can. You just have to go ahead and do some math. And I know for some people that hearing that word that you've got to do some math gives them a headache and it's okay. All you do is you've got 40 yards. So that's what 36.6 meters divided by the time that gives you a velocity and you multiply that by their weight in kilograms and that gives you your sprint momentum. So then you can see how did that change? So that's one of the areas also that I'm, I'm looking at because you can be like, Oh dude, he got, he put on 30 pounds and he got slower. So he sucks. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe he uh, actually has a lot more momentum, which would be a lot more of the impact. And you can do that rather than the, uh, you can still do like force equals mass times acceleration and things like that. But those numbers lose meaning because you don't know the grade. You don't know the coefficient of friction. You don't know a whole lot of other things. Uh, but, you know, bathroom scale theory, if all the tests were on the same surface, it kind of washes out. But so I guess the that epiphany that I really need to get to is that, hey, man, if we look at just look at math and we look at the the work of people that have come before us, like the Zatsiorskis, like the Dan Bakers, the Yuri Verhoshanskis, the uh, all of these pioneers, man, they they have done a lot and they've put a lot of the groundwork for us right there. So my epiphany is that if you just read and you pay attention, you'll see some stuff, right? Like uh, it's not really an epiphany that over a double body weight squat doesn't transfer. Rikoshansky said that a long time ago. If uh, you look at the stuff from J.B. Marin, which it isn't old, it's recent, you know that, uh, hey, there's that French sprinter that who was extremely fast, and whenever he started lifting heavy weights, he got slower. Okay, well that makes sense for my guys that were up three standard deviations. You know what? Uh, you know the uh, the transfer index. Like I just said, I, I called Zach Dakin after he was on your podcast because you know Zach was one of my athletes, uh, and I'm like, Yo, Zach, hey, this thing where you said you don't know how to tell when something transfers. Hey, why don't you go check this page in Science and Practice of Strength Training? And, uh, you know, let him know that. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that's out there that it's already been done. It's already been laid out. Uh, all we got to do is read it. So I guess one epiphany is, of course, that strength is great, and, but it doesn't oh, – it's not always the king that we think it is. Uh, the other epiphany is that we're not all as smart as we think we are. Uh, so if we would just simply read uh, what's been written by the pioneers – they're pioneers for a reason. They're pioneers because there were some smart dudes who did a really good job. Uh, and if we would look for what they had done, we would be far further and try to build upon that rather than try to reinvent the wheel. Because uh, I get so pissed off on a daily basis uh, with students or uh, you know other strength and conditioning coaches. I wouldn't say I'm not pissed off. Uh, that's uh, that's just my uh, lack of sleep talking 
uh, that we're just going in circles, man. We're not uh, we're not progressing. We're going in circles. It goes back to Bob Alejo. You tell me what it is, and I'll tell you what we used to call it. Let's read the stuff and let's try and move forward rather than I want to look cool for social media. Um, I guess I've turned that epiphany into a rant. Uh, so my epiphany is that hey, uh, strength isn't all that it's uh, strength is great, but realize that uh, it's got a limited transfer and you can measure that. I love it, man, because, yeah, like, at the end of the day, like, if we're not getting better, it doesn't really matter. No. And no, if you can't it, prove it, it's working, then why are you doing it? Right, dude, 100%. And the the only uh, other flip side of that is that strength does have some injury preventative factors up to a certain point, And then you will end up having freaky injuries from people because they get too strong. Uh, remember that we had a dude uh, break his foot on a uh, – Five ten five shuttle or something like that, and he was just—I mean, he was a, a beast for a, as strong as he was. I never seen that injury happen. I think he was squatting over eight hundred pounds. I mean, this is—you uh, know—a football player squatting eight hundred pounds. You know, it, it was awesome, but uh, you know, it—the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. You know, getting him up a little bit higher didn't cause him to be a better football player. You know, it looked good for the coach, it looked good for the numbers, but dude, it just—juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And that's what's most important, man, is making sure that we're, we're doing the right thing and moving in the right way, you know. And, yeah, I think that those are some freaking killer points and some things people need to keep more in mind. Yeah. So with that in mind, though, Doc, you know, you are an inquisitive guy, obviously. I mean, you just talked about things that you were digging up even on yourself there. So if you had one question that you could ask and you know you would get the answer to it, what would it be and why? And my my question, I, and I've heard some great things from a lot of people here, and that I, it almost led me to change my answer. Uh, you know, that Todd Hammer had some great stuff, Kier had some great stuff, but uh, I guess mine is because of my annoyance for uh, my my biggest pet peeve is having my time wasted. Uh, so my question that I want to ask that I know I'll get the answer from is uh, twofold. It is, what do you mean and what do you want? Let's not mince words. If, you know, you're uh, wanting to do this for, to show that you're cool, all right, fine, good, we'll do it, and I'll do something else with the data. If you're wanting this to uh, build your program off of, great, let's do it, and I'll spend more attention and time on it. If you're wanting, you know, uh, and I don't want to have to try and figure out the, any code, right? Because all that using this codified language right now, all that it does is you don't get exactly what you want and you get pissed off about it, even though I'm doing what you told me to do verbatim, but I didn't read between the lines quite well. It's like, dude, I'm busy. I'm 40. I'm an assistant professor. I got a full class load. I'm not supposed to do research, but I've got like four or five publications coming out a year, plus multiple abstracts, writing articles for different websites, and doing this sports science thing voluntarily for you guys. Just tell me what the F you mean so I don't waste any time, because uh, I don't have time to waste. I'd rather see my kids than sit here and have arguments because you, because I didn't understand what you said. I think that's a pretty fair thing to ask, brother. Yeah, man. Hard to get the answer to sometimes, but a fair yeah. thing to ask. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I found that you've got to, 
it seems like you've got to like go to lunch and take the person out on three or four dates before you can either get them to tell you what you they mean. By three or four dates, I mean like you're going out to lunch, doing a few other things, building the relationship before they'll open up and actually say what they mean. And it's like, man, I, I don't have time for that right now. Yeah, let's just cut to brass tacks and get what we need, right? Yeah, man. But with all that, full class load, the extra research, helping with the department, the athletics. And then, you know, the two young ones too, man. Doc's got to have an escape. What do you do to come back to neutral, brother? Man, I'm working on that. You know, like uh, I used to do woodworking. And uh, the move from Miami was, was rough in, for that because uh, it's expensive down here, dude. So, uh, you know, we're paying twice as much for half the space. Uh, you know, we had three-quarter acre lot, two-and-a-half-car garage. So I could have, you know, put all the tools that I wanted in there. And now we've got uh, a condo, you know, that's uh, half the size of the place that we were living in, which is cool. You know, we found out that I didn't need as much space, but I don't have any stuff thing to woodwork. So I've been trying to explore this. And there's been a couple of things that uh, are recharged. And one of them is, and it's, you know, freaking, I guess, bragging a little bit, but I can go sit down on the beach, drink in my hand, and watch the waves. And just, you know, they they say that there's stuff about that, negative ions and sun and vitamin D and all that. And I don't know if any of that's true or not, but, man, the uh, it, it is relaxing. That's one thing that I've done to recharge. But I can't do that all the time because I'm busy and I've got kids. So I'm trying to find some small escapes. Uh, been trying to work on finding a meditation app that I like. I know uh, Hammer's huge on that, and I've written about it before. And uh, I just, you know, hate having my time wasted. So sometimes I've got way too much to do, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, man, screw this. I, I need to go get something done. Uh, been working on trying to look into doing things more musically. Uh, yeah, I've broken my hands a bunch of times doing some different things. So. Guitar might never be uh, for me, but I've been messing around with the harmonica a little bit. Uh, but the thing that's been doing the best for me lately is actually just putting down my phone and spending time with my kids at their age, right? The uh, With an 18-month-old, you don't know how to not live in the moment at 18 months old. And that's what mindfulness is all about. So, you know, um, whatever she's doing, just messing with her and, and playing with her and doing it back to her and uh, just trying to be like that. I'll usually end up laughing so hard that I can't uh, can't breathe because uh, we're just doing funny shit, you know, acting like a monkey or something or, you know, just playing around with something. Uh, and then my four-year-old, just trying to get involved and active with her and build that relationship. It's... Uh, that's uh, that's about the that and the beach, man. Those are, I guess, are my escapes right now because I suck at the harmonica. Uh, can't play the guitar. I see if I can't find another instrument that doesn't require dexterous hands. Uh, maybe I need to get back into choir. You know, I did that for a, a long time. A little known fact about me is I was in a choir for like 14 years. Did some acapella group stuff in college and all that all that noise, man. So maybe I need to get back to doing that. But I still can't read music. I go figure. But uh, must be all the concussions. I love it, man. That's awesome. But yeah, man, the mindfulness part and being able to unplug is big time, brother. Doc, as always, man, great to see you. Great to chop it up. Stoked you're doing awesome down there, brother, and, and truly appreciate everything you do for us. 
Uh, my pleasure, Jay. Anytime. Yeah, man. Well, we'll be in touch real soon, brother. Yes, sir.